Today, the Senate is not simply phoning in our vetting obligation, we're discarding it. It's not only shameful, it's a sham. That sham is straight ahead. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. To cover the shams. I got the feeling that something ain't right. Noting. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. I am from Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast that's heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ and in Cottage Grove on Queso. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. Grand Rapids, Michigan's WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, in Gallup, New Mexico on KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, Seattle, Washington's KODX, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountain, California's KKRN, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. Here, of course, with the delightful Desiree Doyen, as <laughs> ever, as we both uh, survived the Labor Day uh, holiday weekend. Yes. Barely, sort of. Coming up shortly, hope you did too, by the way. Hope you got some rest. Uh, coming up shortly, extended excerpts and commentary, including from columnist and host of the Zero Hour radio show, R.J. Eskow, on the first day of hearings for Donald Trump's second U.S. Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh. The absolute pandemonium, frankly, that took place throughout much of it and how it's being approached by both the Democrats and the corporate media and the specific dilemmas uh, involved in both participating uh, when it comes to the Democrats and covering the hearings when it comes to folks like us in the media of what many regard as a wildly rushed nomination process of a nominee for a lifetime seat on the bench who is all but certain to change the high court for a generation by, among other things, overturning hard-fought civil rights victories and advances and much more as a nominee of a president now facing serious criminal investigation who is allowed apparently to nominate uh, the person who could be very well will be the swing vote on any questions that come before the U.S. Supreme Court regarding that criminal investigation of this president of the United States. But first, very quickly, uh, Massachusetts primary voters are at the polls on Tuesday. We'll have noteworthy problem reports and results tomorrow, hopefully amidst the uh, continuing Supreme Court nomination hearings. On Thursday, Delaware holds its statewide primaries this week. That is Thursday. 
And then the primary scene, uh, uh, season finally wraps up next week with New Hampshire on Tuesday, Rhode Island on Wednesday, and New York's state and local primaries occurring on Thursday with that much-watched challenge to New York Democratic Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo, and who's running for his third term, a challenge from progressive challenger and actress Cynthia Nixon. We also have a number of progressive challenges in both Massachusetts and Delaware this week to sitting Democratic uh, congressmen and senators. We'll get to that as the week goes on. We'll see how things go there. We'll be keeping our eyes on that as much as possible. In the meantime, as primary season ends, in anticipation of the more crucial than ever midterm elections on November 6th, hurricane season begins to warm up, literally. Oh, de- indeed. Unfortunately. Indeed. We're keeping our eyes on, well, actually a number of storms. Parts of Louisiana and Mississippi coasts are under a hurricane warning on Tuesday with the fast-developing tropical storm Gordon moving across South Florida on its way to the northern Gulf of Mexico. The National Weather Service has issued hurricane warnings um, for parts of Louisiana and Mississippi. There is nasty weather headed our way, says uh, Louisiana Governor Bell Edwards to reporters, adding that the state could expect wind speeds between 40 and 70 miles per hour as that storm gains strength in the Gulf before making landfall, either as a hurricane or a tropical storm or a tropical depression. We don't know. Yeah, and and the intensity of the winds is not the only risk here. It's also, as the National Weather Service warned, dangerous storm surge. So the good news about Tropical Storm Gordon, which could be a hurricane by the time it makes landfall, uh, is that it is at least faster moving than uh, storms have been recently. That is good news because we don't want it to to have time to gather strength from the extra warm Gulf waters right now that would fuel a much more intense storm and give it time to intensify. And it's also good news because perhaps it won't park over the Gulf Coast and dump, you know, enormous ra- amounts of rain and cause great flooding. It'll mm. still cause flooding and storm surge, but maybe it'll move too quickly for it to be really dangerous. Unlike Hurricane Harvey in Texas last year, which was really slow, dumped a ton of rain or Hurricane just a week or so ago exactly in Hawaii there's also another storm as the Gulf is preparing for uh, tropical storm Gordon Hurricane Florence formed on Tuesday in the Atlantic moving uh, it's it was about uh, well, let's see about 1200 miles west northwest of Cabo Verde Islands according to the National Hurricane Center so we will be watching that but oh, it yes. was justifiably the storm in the US Senate's Judiciary Committee on Tuesday that's receiving the bulk of the nation's attention today as Republicans rush to ram through the confirmation to the U.S. Supreme Court of Republican Party operative and activist turned judge Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, he's uh, currently the, a judge on the D.C. Court of Appeals. And during his last confirmation to the federal bench back in 2006, he appears to have lied about his participation in discussions about the torture policies of the George W. Bush White House, for whom he served as a legal advisor and staff secretary. So much of Tuesday's hearings, and we'll play extended excerpts today, uh, centered on the Trump White House and the GOP Senate Judiciary Committee's refusal to release thousands of pages from Kavanaugh's time in the White House during the Bush years. 
the Trump administration is withholding more than 100,000 pages of appeals court uh, judge and prior to that, Republican operative Brett Kavanaugh's records from the Bush White House on the basis of presidential privilege ahead of the Supreme Court nominees confirmation hearing. This was reported over the weekend as the Senate Judiciary Committee was notified of this action on Friday, Friday of the holiday weekend. George W. Bush's attorney, Bill Burke, told the Senate panel that it had essentially completed its work compiling documents, according to a letter that was obtained by the AP over the weekend. But Bush and Bush directed them, we are told, to err, quote, on the side of transparency and disclosure and believe we have done so, according to this letter. But the current administration is also able to review the records and the Trump White House, quote, has directed that we not provide these documents. That letter from Bill Burke says in all some 267,000 pages of Kavanaugh documents from his Bush years are being made public. But Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer called it a Friday night document massacre, the withholding of some 100,000 pages. Schumer said the decision to withhold the documents, quote, has all the makings of a cover up. What are they trying so desperately to hide? Norm Eisen, who was uh, a uh, the White House ethics chief under Barack Obama, now chair of the Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, better known as Crew, said that this sweeping, unsubstantiated assertion of privilege is garbage. We produced every single Elena Kagan document when I was working in the White House and she at the time was nominated by Obama to the Supreme Court. She's, uh, he said there is no legal basis for this sweeping, unsubstantiated use of privileges. What are they hiding? George W. Bush's lawyers had already decided that 27,000 uh, of the documents would be protected under constitutional privilege. But the White House uh, directed them on Friday not to hand over uh, some 100,000 pages of documents, uh, as well as those 27,000 pages that the Bush White House had said were protected under constitutional privilege. Dick Durbin, the number two Senate Democrat, said in an interview on Sunday that the White House's citation of privilege on the documents was the first time that has ever occurred. He said there has been more concealment of documents that are concerning his uh, Kavanaugh's public service and his position on issues than ever in the history of the United States. Democratic Senator Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, who is a Judiciary Committee member, echoed Durbin's uh, concerns in an interview on Sunday on Meet the Press, saying this is not normal. Of course, Kavanaugh must win a bare majority of the 100-seat Senate to approve his nomination. Republicans hold a razor-thin, currently, for the moment, 50 to 49 majority uh, in the in the uh, chamber with the recent passing of Senator John McCain, though that will probably be back to a very, very slim 51-49 majority any moment. On Tuesday, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey announced uh, just two days after McCain was laid to rest over the holiday weekend, that former Arizona Senator John Kyle, who served in the Senate from 1995 to 2013, he will be named to fill McCain's seat 
until 2020 when a special election will be held to fill out the remaining two years of McCain's original six-year term. But that means Kyle, a very reliable Republican, so almost certainly a yes vote for Kavanaugh, will make the Democrats' attempt to block Kavanaugh's seating all the more unlikely unless two GOP senators vote against Trump's nominee. All of that for a Supreme Court whose majority has already been stolen by the Republicans when they refused for nearly a year to seat Barack Obama's nominee to the court, Merrick Garland, to fill the seat left vacant by uh, the late Antonin Scalia, who died in February of 2016, under the notion that it was just too close to an election at the time to appoint a successor and that the American people should have a voice in the matter. That, as contrasted by Justice Anthony Kennedy's retirement in August of this year, of an election year, just three months before the people apparently will be denied a voice in the next seating of a Supreme Court justice with an appointee, uh, an appointee by a president who is now under criminal investigation to a seat that will assure a hard right GOP majority on the court for a generation. So with all of that as the background for Tuesday's first day of hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee, uh, Democratic senators on the committee immediately interrupted Chairman Chuck Grassley of Iowa as he began the proceedings in order to call for time to review some 42,000 documents that were released to the Senate late on Monday night, which was, by the way, the Labor Day holiday. Here's what the havoc uh, unprecedented by pretty much everyone's recollection uh, sounded like at the beginning of Tuesday morning's hearings. You'll hear Grassley and interruptions along uh, with uh, interruptions from the Democrats, along with protests by many in the uh, in the public who were in attendance. More than 20 were arrested and removed during the uh, morning session. Uh, you'll hear interruptions from Senators Kamala Harris of California, Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota, Richard Blumenthal of Connecticut, Cory Booker of New Jersey, Maisie Hirono of Hawaii, Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, and Patrick Leahy of Vermont as pandemonium uh, kicked off the first day of hearings for Judge Brett Kavanaugh to the U.S. Supreme Court. I welcome everyone to this confirmation hearing on the nomination of Mr. Judge Chairman. Brett Kavanaugh. Mr. Chairman to serve as Associate Justice Mr. Chairman, I'd like Supreme to be recognized for a question States. before we proceed. Order, Chairman. Mr. Chairman, I'd like to be recognized to ask a question before we proceed. The committee received just last night, less than 15 hours ago, 42,000 pages of documents that we have not had an opportunity to review or read or analyze. You're out, you're out of order. I'll proceed. We cannot possibly move forward, Mr. Chairman. I with extend this a very warm welcome to Judge Kavanaugh. We have not been given Kavanaugh an opportunity to have a meaningful his wife, hearing Ashley, on this nominee. There are two daughters. Mr. Chairman, I agree with my colleague, friends. Senator Harris. Mr. Chairman, Judge we received 42,000 documents that we haven't been everyone able else joining to review us last today. night. And we believe this hearing should be postponed. I know this is an exciting day for all of you here. And you're rightly proud Mr. Chairman, of the if, judge. if we cannot be recognized, I move to adjourn. The American people. Mr. Chairman, I move to adjourn. To directly from Judge Kavanaugh later this afternoon. Mr. Chairman, I move to adjourn. And, Mr. Chairman, we have been denied 
we have been denied real access to the documents we need to advise. Mr. Chairman, regular order is called for. Which turns this hearing into a charade and a mockery of our norms. Well, and Mr. Chairman, I therefore move to adjourn this hearing. Okay. Mr. Chairman, I, I ask for a roll call vote on my motion to adjourn. Okay. Mr. Chairman, I move to adjourn. I ask for a roll call vote. Uh, we're not in executive session. We will continue as planned. Um, Mr. Chairman, may I be recognized, sir? Mr. Uh, Chairman, I appeal to the chair to recognize myself or one of my colleagues. You're out of order. Mr. Chairman, I, I appeal to be recognized on your sense of decency and integrity. Even the documents you have requested, Mr. Chairman, even the ones that you said, the limited documents you have requested, this committee has not received. And the documents we have, you, sir, have Chairman, labeled committee confidential. They should be transparent. This committee, sir, is a violation of even the values I've heard you talk about time and time again. The ideals that we should have. What is the rush? What, what are we trying to hide by not having the documents out front? What is with the rush? What are we hiding by not letting those documents come out? Sir, this committee is a violation of the values that we as a committee have striven for, transparency. We are rushing through this process in a way that is unnecessary. And I, I appeal for the motion to at least be voted on. Mr. Chairman. At least let's have a vote, because when we wrote you a letter on August 24th Senator. asking to, to have a meeting on this issue, you denied us even the right to meet. So here we are having a meeting. Let's at least debate this issue. Let's at least call this for a vote. I, I appeal to your sense of fairness and decency, your commitments that you've made to transparency. This violates what you have even said and called for, sir. You've called for documents. You yourself, limited documents. We thought there should be more. We have not received the documents that you have even called for. So, yeah. sir, based upon your own principles, your own values, I call for at least to have us a debate or a vote on these issues and not for us to rush through this process. Mr. 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 Chairman, Senator, Mr. Chairman, Senator, I've heard calls for I'd like to regular respond, order. I'd, I'd like to respond to Senator Booker. Senator Booker, I think that uh, I respect very much a lot of things you, you, uh, you do, but you spoke about my decency and my, and you spoke about my decency and integrity, and I think you're take, uh, you are taking advantage of my decency and integrity. So. Okay. The order, it is regular order for us to receive all the documents, to receive all the documents that this committee is entitled to. Okay. Mr. Chairman, it is also. I think. Mr. Chairman, I, it is also not regular it, order for the majority Senator, Senator to require Romo. the minority to pre-clear our questions, our documents, and the videos we would like to use at this hearing. That is unprecedented. That is not regular order. Since no. when do we have to submit the questions and the, the process that we wish to follow to question this nominee? 
Senator, so I like your clarification. I'd like Senator your response Rono, on why you are requesting I would ask the minority that you, to submit uh, our questions to I you. ask that you uh, stop so we can conduct this hearing the way we have planned it. Uh, maybe it isn't going exactly the way that the minority would like to have it go. But we, we have said for a long period of time that we were going to proceed on this very day. And I think we ought to give the American people the opportunity to hear whether Judge Kavanaugh should be on the Supreme Court or not. And uh, you have heard my side of the aisle call for regular order. And I think we ought to proceed in regular order. There will be plenty of opportunities to respond to the questions that the minority is legit, legit, legitimately raising. And we will, uh, we will proceed accordingly. Mr. Mr. Chairman, under, under regular order, may I ask a point of order, which is that we are now presented with a situation in which somebody has decided that there are 100,000 documents protected by executive privilege, yet there has not been an assertion of executive privilege before the committee. How are we to determine whether executive privilege has been properly asserted if this hearing goes by without the committee ever considering that question? Why is it not in regular order for us to determine before the hearing at which the documents would be necessary, whether or not the assertion of privilege that prevents us from getting those documents is legitimate or indeed is even an actual assertion of executive privilege. I do not understand why that is not a legitimate point of order at this point, because at the end of this hearing, it is too late to consider it. <clears throat> Mr. Chairman, if I might add to this. On the integrity of the documents we've received, there, there really is no integrity. They have alterations, they have oddities, attachments are missing, emails are cut off halfway through a chain, recipients' names are missing. Uh, the uh, many are of, of interest to this committee, but it's cut off. We, the National Archives, hasn't had a chance to get us all that we want, even though you sit on your website. The National Archives would act as a check against any political interference. But I, I, I check after the hearing is over, there's no check. I think we ought to at least have the National Archives finish it. And to have, for the first time, certainly in my 44 years here, to have somebody say there's a claim of executive privilege when the president hasn't made such a claim just puts everything under doubt. What are we trying to hide? Why are we rushing? I can answer all the questions that have been raised, but I think if I answer those questions, it's going to fit into the effort of the minority to continue to obstruct. And I don't think that that's fair to our judge. It's not fair to our constitutional process. But let me, uh, let me respond to those uh, now, and then maybe we can proceed. <laughs> so that was Grassley saying uh, he didn't want to respond, but he's going to go ahead and respond anyway. That was uh, the very first a few minutes of the Supreme Court nomination hearings for, uh, for Judge Brett Kavanaugh in the U.S. Supreme Court. 
I'm sorry, in the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee on Tuesday morning. Let's take a quick break and we will come back with uh, more from that hearing, more of the havoc and the pandemonium. Uh, And then we'll be joined by Richard Eskow of the Zero Hour to try to make sense of this all, if that's even possible. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. RJ Escow joins us shortly to try and make sense out of both the Democratic strategy and the media coverage of the nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court of Donald Trump's second nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, the former George W. Bush administration official turned D.C. appellate court judge for whom the Trump administration, claiming executive privilege, sort of, has refused to release, uh, oh, about 100,000 pages of documents from during his time in the White House and dumped some 42,000 pages of documents uh, on the Senate committee just, uh, well, on Monday night, Monday, Labor Day, Monday night, before the Tuesday morning hearings were to begin. 42,000 documents. Here's Illinois uh, Senator, Democratic Senator Dick Durbin during the first day of hearings discussing that and Kavanaugh's apparent lie during his 2006 nomination to the Federal Court of Appeals in Washington, D.C., regarding Kavanaugh's claim at the time that he did not participate in discussions while in the Bush White House regarding that administration's pro-torture policy following 9-11. You are the nominee of President Donald John Trump. This is a president who's shown us consistently that he is contemptuous of the rule of law. He has said and done things as president which we've never seen before in our history. He has dismissed the head of the Federal Bureau of Investigation when he wouldn't bend to his will. He harasses and threatens his own attorney general on almost a daily basis in the exercise of his office. And I didn't vote for Jeff Sessions. But I have to tell you, there should be some respect, at least for the office that he serves in. And it's that president who's decided you are his man. You're the person he wants on the Supreme Court. You are his personal choice. And President Trump's, whose lawyers say they will fight any effort to subpoena or indict him all the way to the Supreme Court, that president seems personally eager to have you confirmed as quickly as possible. Unfortunately, I don't think you're going to tell us much this week. It's interesting to me that people in your position write all these law review articles, make all these speeches, and come to this room and clam up. Don't want to talk about any issues, but that's what I expect. Instead, we'll be asked to trust that if you're confirmed, you'll have an open mind, that you'll follow the law rather than move the law in your direction of your views. I'd like to trust you, but I agree with President Ronald Reagan. Trust, but verify. 
I wanted to trust you the last time you testified before this committee in 2006, but after you were confirmed to the D.C. Circuit, reports surfaced that contradicted your sworn testimony before this committee. Mm -hmm. You said to me unambiguously, under oath, the following. I was not involved and am not involved in the questions about the rules governing detention of combatants. But later, just a week or so ago, you acknowledged in my office that you were involved. For 12 years, you could have apologized and corrected this record, but you never did. You are a committed textualist, Judge Kavanaugh. If you're going to hold others accountable for their words, you should be held accountable for your own words. So after my personal experience, I start these hearings with a question about your credibility as a witness. I know from my history with you that things you said need to be carefully verified. And that brings us to a major problem. I won't retread the ground about all the documents that are being withheld, but I'll show you a little calendar here that's interesting. There's a 35-month black hole in your White House career where we've been denied access to any and all documents. 35 months in the White House. And I asked in my office, during that period of time, President Bush was considering same-sex marriage, an amendment to ban it, abortion, executive power, detainees, torture, Supreme Court nominees, warrantless wiretapping. One of these issues bears special mention as we mourn the passing of John McCain. In 2004, 2005, I joined John McCain when he led the effort to pass an amendment affirming that torture and cruel and unhuman and degrading treatment would be illegal in America. As a survivor of unspeakable torture, John McCain spoke with powerful moral authority about American values during the time of war. You were in the Bush White House when that McCain amendment passed, yet we've been denied any documents disclosing your role or your advice to President Bush. I asked you if you wrote, edited, or approved documents about these and other issues while you were staff secretary. Time and again, you said, I can't rule it out. Judge Kavanaugh, at this moment in our nation's history, with authoritarian forces threatening our democracy, with the campaign and administration of this president under federal criminal investigation, we need a direct, credible answer from you. Is this president or any president above the law? If you believe that your public record is one that you can stand behind and defend, I hope that at the end of this, you will ask this committee to suspend until we are given all the documents, until we have the time to review them. And then we resume this hearing. What I'm saying to you is basically this. If you will trust the American people, they will trust you. But if your effort today continues to conceal and hide documents, it raises a suspicion for the sake of this nation, for the sanctity of the Constitution that we both honor. Step up, ask this meeting, this gathering to suspend until all the documents of your public career are there for the American people to see. That was Illinois Senator Dick Durbin at the first day of hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, his um, nomination to the Supreme Court. The uh, protests, however, continued through much of Tuesday's hearing with Chairman Chuck Grassley instructing senators to simply continue throughout the process, uh, throughout the protests. Here's an example of what that sounded like as Republican and very loyal partisan Senator Orrin Hatch of Utah attempted to instruct us all about the importance of civility in Senate proceedings for the U.S. Supreme Court. My Democratic colleagues can admit that you're actually a good judge. 
and a good person as well. They have, they have to turn the volume up to 11 and try to paint you as one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. So here are the facts. Judge Kavanaugh is one of the most distinguished judges. Mr. Chairman, I think we ought to have this, this loudmouth removed. I mean, we, we shouldn't have to put up with this kind of stuff. He has served for over 12 years now in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. The D.C. Circuit is often referred to as the second, second highest court in the land because it hears many critically important cases involving agency action and the separation of powers. During his time on the bench, Judge Kavanaugh has heard over a thousand cases. He's written more than 300 opinions. His opinions span nearly 5,000 pages in length. But what are, what's remarkable about Judge Kavanaugh's judicial record is not just its length, but its depth and its quality. Were the Senate to fail to confirm Brett, it would not only mean passing up the opportunity to confirm a great jurist, but would also undermine civility in politics twice over. Just in playing politics with such an obviously qualified candidate, and then again in losing the opportunity to put such a strong advocate for decency and civility on our nation's highest court, unquote. So, Judge, I'm glad you're here today. I'm sorry you're going to have to go through some of, the, some of this nonsense that's about to come your way, but I hope you do it well. You're, you're smart. You're smart. And you're, and you're a fundamentally decent, good person. Now, Mr. Mr. Chairman, I don't know that the committee should have to put up with this type of insolence that's going on in this, in this room today. But Judge Kavanaugh, I'm proud of you. I know how good you are. I know you deserve this position. I'm proud of the president for nominating you. And frankly, I wish you the best because we're going to confirm you. We're going to confirm you, says Senator Orrin Hatch, before there has been any questioning whatsoever of Donald Trump's uh, second Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, who is going to serve on the bench if he is uh, confirmed for, for decades and be the fifth vote, uh, essentially, for overturning a host of, uh, at least uh, as Democrats and civil rights activists fear, uh, a host of uh, rights that have been hard fought and hard won over the past well, decades oh, in yeah. this country. That is why they are trying to ram this through come hell or high water. They cannot achieve these things through political ends. They can't achieve these through the ballot box. So obviously they have to do this now or else they'll lose their chance. And that led to uh, a lot. I mean, there was hours of hearings on Tuesday. Des, you sat through a lot of them. Yes. Trying to uh, pull quotes for us here and figure out what the hell was going on. And it was, is it an overreaction to describe it as pandemonium through oh, much heavens, of it? No, not at all. And deservedly so. People need to know that this is going on, that their court is now being stolen again. I've got to get to uh, my guest here in a second. I had hoped to play Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont. He has served in the U.S. Senate for some 44 years. He has overseen as chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee and as a member of that committee, uh, he has overseen the confirmation hearings of every single justice, I believe, currently sitting on the U.S. Supreme Court. And he described what has been going on here and the withholding of documents as a sham, 
as a sham process that he has uh, never seen anything like it. He said the Senate, when he got there 44 years ago, was described to him by leadership on both the Republican and the Democratic side as the conscience of the nation. And he says... Uh, what is going on now um, is anything but uh, the conscience of the nation. He called it, uh, like I say, he called it a sham and not a legitimate process. It is hard to argue with that because, remember, the only rush here, the only reason they need to hurry up and get these hearings done is because Republicans are afraid they may lose their slim majority in the U.S. Senate come November 6th. So come hell or high water right now, they are going to jam this guy through how to cover it, how to make sense of it, how to explain what's going on here to the American people. You know, Leahy said that uh, what's going on here in in would would be hard enough to figure out in normal times. But these are nothing but nor uh, these are nothing about this is normal that's true. And that goes to the coverage of how we in the media deal with this. I want to talk with uh, take a quick break here and come back with R.J. Escow to talk about exactly that and the Democrats approach to this. If they are doing um, what is close to what is needed to push back against these anything but normal times. I'm Brad Friedman, and this is the Bradcast. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the Bradcast. But we need your help to do it. If you enjoy the show and or get something from it, please give back a bit, if you can, by visiting us at bradblog.com donate. Your support helps Desi and me continue to bring you real, independent, progressive news five days a week over your public airwaves. We simply can't do it without your help, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate today to make a one-time donation or, even better, automated monthly support. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you can rest easy knowing that we'll be here every day making sense of it all, or at least trying to. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. Oh, it's been rising for a while. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. The Senate confirmation hearings for... President Donald Trump, Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh, launched on Tuesday with chaotic scenes first thing in the morning as Democrats pushed to adjourn and protesters repeatedly interrupted the proceedings. The complaints from Democrats on the panel and protester fireworks lasted throughout the first several hours of hearings. They followed late, the late night release on uh, on Labor Day of tens of thousands of documents related to Kavanaugh's time in the George W. Bush White House, which Democrats say they have had no chance to uh, to review. Add that to the 100,000 pages of documents that have yet to be released at all that Democrats have been uh, begging for, essentially. 
On Tuesday morning on MSNBC, Joe Scarborough and uh, other Morning Joe panelists hammered Senator Sheldon Whitehouse of Rhode Island, Democrat, and other Senate Democrats for agreeing to proceed with confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh at all. Scarborough said, I do not understand what these Democrats are thinking. I don't understand their lack of fight. He said the process is illegitimate. It started illegitimately with Merrick Garland, and now the Republicans have basically hidden 150,000 documents from Democrats that they have been begging for over the past several weeks. He said no judge in America would allow an opposing side to dump 150,000 documents on another party in a lawsuit the day before hearings started or a trial has started, I am completely baffled, he said. Why do Democrats, why do they even show up? They should not show up, he said. Uh, White House insisted that there was no reason to step outside the normal process for debating Supreme Court nominations. He said, I can't speak for others. But I think the committee process is the best place to make these points. I don't think Americans, frankly, respect people who uh, very much who walk out of their jobs when there's a fight to be had. And I think it's important we take this forum and have that fight. He added other people disagree, and I think that's a fair disagreement. I'm not criticizing them, but my feeling is when there's a fight in front of you, go have it. That was uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, before today's chaotic pandemonium uh, began in the Senate Judiciary hearings. Uh, here to talk about what happened today and how any of us should be covering this, well, this nomination that many regard as illegitimate from a president under uh, a, a criminal investigation at this point is our friend Richard Escow, Richard R.J. Escow. He's a longtime freelance writer, columnist, and the host and managing editor of his own show, The Zero Hour, a weekly radio and TV program. He's a writer, policy analyst, and former insurance executive, uh, and also was a senior writer and editor for the Bernie Sanders 2016 presidential campaign. Oh, Richard, how are you, sir? Welcome back to the broadcast, my friend. I am happy to be back, and I am fine. Good to always good to talk to you. <laughs> uh, I, I have been uh, confused and trying to figure out for the past several days, and you and I chatted a little bit about this over the weekend about how to cover this uh, these hearings at all. It seems like it grants legitimacy on them uh, to talk about the substance of Kavanaugh's positions and so forth. So I want to talk to you about that uh, in a moment. But we, we played some ex extended excerpts here on the show from, from the hearings and the pandemonium today in which many of the Democrats... Uh, on the committee objected to the proceedings moving forward at all with all of these missing documents and with protesters disrupting the hearings throughout many hours. Uh, it was very much a circus. But is Joe Scarborough right, uh, RJ? Should they even be, should Democrats even be attending the hearing as you see it at this time? I think Scarborough is right, which is not something I'm accustomed to saying. But <laughs> in this case, uh, I absolutely agree. So, uh, you know, I mean, there are two issues here. One is what should the Democrats be doing? And two is what should uh, those of us in the progressive media mm -hmm. be doing about covering this, right? And in terms of what the Democrats should be doing, even the, the, the strongest statements today were not strong enough. They were good. They were fine. You know, Durbin had a strong, mm -hmm. Senator Dick Durbin had a strong 
a statement coming in about the illegitimacy of dumping all these documents very early on in the proceedings. Mm -hmm. But every debater knows that as long as you allow your opponent to establish a phony premise or a phony setup for the debate, you're going to lose. And this, the Democrats should have been saying, this is a setup from beginning to end. It's a setup. For, I'll give you the, what I thought was the money quote of the Republicans of the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lindsey Graham, complaining about uh, Democrats' objections, said, you had a chance, and I quote Lindsey, the Republican Lindsey Graham, you had a chance and you lost. He's addressing the Democrats. If you want to pick judges from your way of thinking, you better win an election. Now, of course, the Democrats did win an election twice. They won the presidency twice. Uh, But Republicans refused to allow their nominee to come to a vote. So that's uh, false premise number one in this entire charade. Secondly, Trump, who is under investigation for potential criminal behavior, chose the one uh, candidate, a lot of people think Kavanaugh really angled for this appointment by making these statements, the one judicial candidate who said, gee, in effect, a sitting president can't break the law. That's disqualifier number two. Uh, Democrats should be saying you don't have a right to fill the seat, A, and B, you certainly, it is illegitimate to bring forward somebody who could potentially be letting the president off the hook if there's ever a criminal investigation, and C, uh, you didn't give us the, the documents we need, so they should absolutely be shutting the process down. Now, why the Dem... Uh, I, you know, there, it's a mystery to what extent that it's the democratic political culture, that they love to abide by the rules, the extent to which it's cowardice, that they, they, they don't want to stand up and and take the heat for, uh, you know, taking the appropriate moral stand. You know, it's hard to decode all of that, but I, there's no question in my mind that Democrats should be drawing a line in the sand, say, no, this, this process is illegitimate, and we're not going to participate. Well, it's unclear to me if uh, if they hadn't shown up at all, that, uh, you know, you referenced shutting the entire process down. I don't even know if that would have shut it down. I think they... Uh, wouldn't they be able to continue since they're in the majority, the Republicans? They would have a, uh, a majority on that committee. Wouldn't they be able to continue with these hearings with n- no uh, input at all from the Senate Democrats had the Democrats simply not showed up? My, you know, the answer to that is an unequivocal maybe because... <laughs> Because, yes, in principle, uh, the Republicans could just hold their hearing without them, which, first of all, by the way, if that happened, I think that would be a powerful statement if the Democrats boycotted the event. Mm -hmm. But secondly, while I'm not an expert in Senate procedure, uh, if, if, if you widen the scope of what we're looking at a little bit, there are a lot of ways that, you know, the Democrat, the uh, Senate votes on all sorts of procedural things. For example, at the end of every day, there are certain procedural votes that take place. And throughout the day, they mm-hmm. could just say, look, we're not, we're not moving forward with the business of the Senate until you allow us to hold a legitimate hearing on a legitimate candidate in a legitimate way. Um, that's, that, to me, is uh, something they probably could do. So, but even if they can't, just to say we're not participating, we're boycotting an illegitimate 
process, yes, they'd, they'd have to take some heat from it. Mm-hmm. And yes, that mythical swing voter might say, <laughs> might react. But I'll tell you what, the Democratic base would love it. And in a off-year election like this year, you've got to turn out the base. That's more important than persuading these mythical, gee, I kind of like the Republicans, kind of like the Democrats. Those people, if they ever existed, don't really exist Which, anymore. by the way, is is what I have also been arguing uh, for, for some weeks now since his nomination, uh, since it became clear that uh, Kennedy was resigning, that, yeah, Democrats should just walk out, attempt to prevent a quorum, uh, but that uh, business that you talk about uh, th- that is done on the floor of the Senate at the end of the day, what I have been told, and again, this underscores your unequivocal maybe on all of this, uh, is that in that same process, if Democrats did not show up on the House floor, on I'm sorry, on the Senate floor, uh, Republicans might also be able to pass all manner of things, whether it's judges, whether it's, uh, uh, you know, laws they're trying to move through the Senate, they could do all of this on unanimous consent because there would be no Democrats in there to stop them. I, there's a lot of maybes here, but I... Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I, I, you know, the point is this. Here we are. None of us think that the Democrats are... Neither of us uh, think that the Democrats are mounting a firm resistance uh, to this process or registering uh, strong enough objections. And it, it, it's a given. It's all, uh, you know, it would be astonishing if Brett Kavanaugh was not confirmed to the Supreme Court. And now that confirmation is going to carry with it the air of legitimacy. And when your opponents are behaving in an illegitimate fashion and have been for years, you can't give them the air of legitimacy. So the, 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 the precise nature of the tactics where you do that, you know, we could talk back and forth about that. But even, you know, what you're saying, that they could pass all sorts mm-hmm. of things by unanimous voice vote, they're going to pass them anyway. They're going to get passed anyway. So, uh, you know, I mean, yeah, I, obviously more discussion needs to take place in research about the exact tactics. But the fact is, by showing up, even by voicing their objections, the Democrats are, by the way they're handling it, they're legitimizing the process, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, no, and I hear you. And it's a debate that I've been going back and forth in my own head uh, for weeks. And I, I tend to fall on the side of, yeah, they ought to. Stand down, you know, put all their go all in here, put all their chips on the table. Uh, We're just, you know, about two months out from the primary and say we are you've accused us, Democrats, of not standing for anything. Well, now we're standing for something. We're walking out. We're shutting down this uh, uh, this this U.S. Senate if we have to to avoid uh, an even more corrupt Supreme Court than we already have at this point. And RJ, I've been, I've been struggling to try to figure out, uh, as I said, how and, and if to cover this at all. It's, it's really not unlike the dilemma that we faced when covering the confirmation of Neil Gorsuch, whose seat was very much stolen for him by Senate Republicans. It feels to me like simply covering these issues, and I'm sort of talking about the media side here, and you have a radio show that I know you do once a week, so you've got some more time to to sort of figure this out. But it feels to me like covering the issues of note regarding uh, the substance here of this uh, confirmation and, uh, you know, Kavanaugh's positions and so forth. Uh, We know for a fact that if he is seated, 
as he likely will be, it will result in a hard-right Republican majority for years on the U.S. Supreme Court. It will overturn uh, likely long-time established law on abortion rights and uh, presidential privilege and, you know, whether a, pr- a president can be criminally investigated, much less indicted. All of this host of long-fought rights for Americans. So... Just covering the debate of those issues and Kavanaugh's positions on those issues feels like we are granting a legitimacy to the process that I don't think is deserved. And yet, if it is going to go forward in the U.S. Senate, don't we in the media have to cover some uh, those issues and his positions and the debate over it, etc.? Yeah, I think we do. But I think there is a way to cover it without conferring legitimacy to it, and that's by placing it in the right context. And that's that's what you and I are doing right now. That's what I'll do on my show later in the week, is, is talking about how we got to this illegitimate point, talking about, um, for example, the attorney who's been handling the document release mm-hmm. for the republicans uh this fellow i'm, I'm blank bill burke mm-hmm. and how he is also defending has has been defending three trump officials in, and representing them in robert Mueller's hearing and how this is all part of you know a republican cabal uh, that uh, doesn't think much of democracy and hasn't been standing up for it to say the least so to cover it in that context and to point out that it's a charade, for example, when Republicans talk about the Ruth Bader Ginsburg rule as if Ruth Bader Ginsburg didn't answer questions on subjects she might rule about. She actually did. She was very outspoken and very clear about her opinions on uh, abortion and reproductive rights, for example. So uh, how it's a charade, why it's a charade, the people conducting the charade and why they're not legitimate, why uh, the notion that there is in this day and age a Republican moderate is absurd, that Susan Collins' vote has already been bought, and a senator from Maine, and so on. So uh, I think there's a way to do that and talk about what's being said, but putting it in context. The way we, even to the point of saying, yeah, Dick Durbin had a good statement mm-hmm. in the early part of uh, the hearing, but it wasn't enough. Uh, I think we can do that. I think it's our job to do that. I think we're obliged to do that. Uh, I'm and I'm running uh, late because we uh, played some extended clips today. So, uh, Richard, let me get your last thoughts on this. I- I'm already seeing coverage. I've been seeing it throughout the day here. For example, at the New York Times, citing the loudest protesting voices on the uh, Senate Judiciary Panel as being from potential 2020 presidential candidates: uh, uh, Kamala Harris, Cory Booker. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, etc., suggesting that this was more about presidential politics than about Kavanaugh or the court itself. Um, is it? Because, you know, I think that these objections, frankly, uh, have little to do with the 2020 election. I think we'd see this sort of fight for good or ill happening no matter which Democrats were on the Senate Judiciary Committee, as I think both you and I agree they're not doing enough. But what they are doing seems to be legitimate and not necessarily about presidential politics. What, what are your thoughts on that and the way the media uh, immediately seems to regard this as being about 2020 already? I would say that cynical, hack, 
um, reductionist horse race uh, interpretations like that are exactly the reasons why you and I need to stay in the business of doing what we're doing. Because the fact is, it doesn't even matter if there's an element of presidential politics in Kamala Harris's calculation or Amy Klobuchar's calculation. What matters is, are they telling the truth? Are they right? Are they offering a legitimate point of view? Do the Democratic uh, Party base and the American people agree with them? These are the things, and should they agree with them? Uh, these are the things that matter. You know, this whole business of, uh, I'm with my old boss, Bernie, you know, I was a writer for the campaign, as you mentioned it. I, you know, it, 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 it doesn't, this reducing it to a horse race is it cheapens the process. The, uh, talk about the issues and let the horse race sort itself out in 2020. Hard to cheapen this process, uh, RJ, at this point. <laughs> it, it is so uh, cheap, it seems to me, and so illegitimate as is, but leave it to the corporate media to find a way to do it. Uh, as they have done. Uh, RJ, uh, greatly appreciate you jumping in and uh, helping us to try to make sense of this and helping to put my brain uh, in a in a an appropriate place to cover this somehow because I've been struggling with this and um, I, I'm glad to hear I'm not alone uh, as far as like trying to figure out how to cover this extraordinary moment in, uh, in U.S. history, I guess. Uh, RJ Esco, uh, where can folks uh, get your uh, weekly podcast? That's thisisthezerohour.com. That would be it, or Free Speech TV on Monday nights, or uh, maybe a radio station somewhere near you. So uh, if you're in Chicago, Minneapolis, New Orleans, you can hear us on the radio, too. So. Well done, and make sure that you follow RJ uh, for all his work on the Twitters at RJ Eskow. That's E-S-K-O-W. Richard, much appreciate uh, your time with us today, and we will be bothering you again soon, I'm sure. Always a pleasure. Thank you, brother. Okay, only time to get out, uh, and of course, thank my producer Desi Doyen for her, your long morning today, <laughs> uh, and uh, Richard, of course, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Though we do thank those of you who stop by bradblog.com/donate. To a support with a one-time donation or, better yet, a monthly subscription of any amount you like at bradblog.com slash donate to support the work we do here. You can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com on the Facebooks and the Twitters. I'm simply the Brad Blog. See you there, and we will see you next time, hopefully tomorrow, right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.